Welcome to the JMR Podcast. I'm your host, Jelani, a.k.a. Jedi Master Ren, and I'm going to take you guys on a trip to a galaxy far, far away. On tonight's journey, we'll discuss a couple new stories in the PlayStation world, E3 getting cancelled, and my impressions of Kirby and the Forgotten Lands. If you like what I'm doing here, please rate the show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow wherever you get your podcast services, and you can follow the show on Twitter at the JMR Podcast to get the latest updates on the show. Now... Let's jump to hyperspace. So now that we're safely cruising in light speed, I do want to give a shout out to Nagachaka for bringing in his newborn baby boy last week. I am so happy for you, my friend. I've already told you this, but I mean, it's just new babies just make me so happy. And I know that you're just such a good person. And, you know, to see that you are bringing yet another child into this world is something that is beautiful and I wish you and your family the best and I'm just so happy for you my friend so uh I just wanted to just touch on that first before we get into the show proper I want to start talking about the news stories that crept up in this last week surrounding PlayStation so obviously GDC was last week and we got the PSVR 2 at the show floor so it finally surfaced in a physical form at that um at the showcase and this is something that I wasn't completely expecting to happen at least this soon um you know i we just heard about you know what this thing was going to look like a couple months ago i think it was january if not february but either way it was these beginning months of 2022 is when we finally saw the actual what this thing is going to look like here so with that i it just struck me as odd that we were seeing it so soon really you know I, i said in my in the episode when that, uh, the week that that happened, I don't really see this happening, you know, coming out this year. I really thought I was going to see, or we're going to see this coming out, you know, in maybe March of 2023, you know, um, quarter four for the gaming industry, but still next year for us. And I just really wasn't expecting to hear much else for it, especially not so soon. So for this to come up here, you know, at this showcase at the GDC is just kind of blew my mind a little bit, a little bit. Obviously, this is the place where you're going to, you know, bring your tech and to show off what is going on in, you know, in your business, in your industry kind of thing. So this is where you want all eyes are on you. So yeah, obviously, they would want to be here. It's just I wasn't expecting it to be so soon. But it's good to see it. It's good to see that we are, you know, not as early on in this process as, uh, you know, we were kind of thinking that we were. You know what I'm saying? Or at least that way that I thought that uh, they were. I didn't realize how far into this process, you know, we could actually be and that we're going to see the fruition of this and, you know, possibly see this in the market a lot sooner. But as we're, you know, kind of getting some more information around what was actually shown at the floor um, during the presentation, it's seeming like it wasn't a full-on game demo. So Sony is taking a stance and they're trying to market the eye tracking that is going to be involved in or included in the headset and it seems like that is their marketing tactic and their basically their money maker for this device and realistically it does seem like it is a you know a new way and a new innovative way to experience VR and we're not really seeing that be done anywhere else. So it does seem like, yeah, this is what you should be putting out in the forefront. It's just that I wasn't, you know, expecting it to have this many ramifications in our actual gameplay. You know, uh, I, I'm not a developer, so I'm not thinking of these things in that way of how can the eye tracking benefit me, the gamer? I'm just hearing these words, these buzzwords, and we're just kind of having to go off of whatever that is. And that's why we're starting to see a little bit more of the narrative. So the question is, are we going to get more of this narrative of what this headset can do as the coming months go on so that we possibly see a release date at the end of this year? You know, we're coming in holiday this year. Or 
is this something that we're, you know, they wanted to get the eye tracking stuff out because that was something that was a little confusing in the initial marketing when they first dropped, uh, you know, what this headset was going to be and what it's going to look like. So maybe that's why. Maybe they were trying to get in the forefront of this uh, conversation so that they can put an actual definition as to what you're going to get with this eye tracking capability. But with that being said, I do want to pull from Gerald Lynch at Tech Radar. So he has a write-up here, and it's discussing what the eye tracking is going to do for gameplay in the VR space. So um, we're going to pull from here. This was written on the 30th of March. So we're going to drop down to the middle of this article here. He goes, analysis beyond performance and into gameplay. The performance benefits appear to be clear ahead of the hardware's release, but arguably more important from a usability perspective is the way eye tracking can augment gameplay experiences. Want to throw a cheeky wink at an NPC and see how they react? That'll be possible thanks to eye tracking, while finer interaction with objects in a virtual world will be made more intuitive as the eye tracking data can be combined with our peripheral input to more precisely discern a player's intent. No more fumbling with an unwanted in-game items uh, just because they sit closely together in the game world and the input definition is too broad to be able to determine which item is wanted. Accessibility can be improved with eye tracking too. UI elements could be enlarged or enhanced when looked at directly and fade away for a less cluttered play space when not in use. Developers will also be able to isolate the reasons why a player may be stuck in an area of the game if, for instance, their data shows a player hasn't even seen the source of a solution and, and, and introduce a tooltip appropriately. The possibilities make you long for similar functionality on flat screen TV play. But according to recent reports, PlayStation still has some final details to hammer out. As of January, it was still only in talks with eye-tracking specialist Toby on implementing the company's tech into PSVR 2. So that is a very interesting take of this, of like what we can see in the actual gameplay side of this. And he touches on the the UI aspect of it. So you're seeing or you're looking down towards wherever your UI would be and then that's when it becomes visible. So then that way you have a bigger play space. And that's such a an awesome, you know, use case for this eye tracking capability. However, it also it very much depends on how much effort the developers are going to put in here and what they can kind of make work with this headset because not every developer is going to you know at least out the gate going to know how to utilize these different quirks and these different tools in the most efficient way possible so that's not something that i necessarily see you know being a game changer as of like you know from the very jump and it's the same thing that you see like you know when we get into a new generation of consoles you know you're not going to see the the stark differences between the last generation and the current generation right out the gate. However, you definitely, if you're looking, you can see some differences. And then as we get farther and farther into the generation or into the console generation, then you start to see that, okay, where, you know, games are starting to look like, yeah, these, these games could not run on the last generation of hardware kind of thing. But as of right now, especially right now, when we're kind of in that transition period with PS4 and PS5, Xbox One and Xbox Series consoles, we are definitely still in that interim point where, um, we're seeing games come out for both consoles and there, yes, there are, you can see differences and they are, you know, graphically and uh, run smoother on the current gen consoles, but there's no reason that they can't play on, you know, the last generation consoles. So that's just kind of where we sit at. And it's the same thing here with the PSVR. With the eye tracking, it's a new technology. It's a brand new technology in the VR space. So it's going to take time for the developers to hone their skills with it. Now, does that mean that we're not going to see any eye tracking at all from like, and I'm talking not, obviously, PlayStation Studios developers who are working on the PSVR 2, they are going to be using eye tracking. That is a definite thing that's going to happen. The new Horizon game that's going to be more than likely launching with this uh, PSVR 2 headset is going to have extensive eye tracking. Don't don't you worry about that. But I'm talking about third-party developers and those developers who don't have the basically inner workings and they don't have the ability to, you know, talk to different studios inside of PlayStation who have already been working with this thing. They're going to have to kind of figure that out on their own. Um, so with that being said, it's it's going to be 
a crazy time to kind of see PSVR 2 take off whenever it actually decides to land and whenever they give us a release date. Um, and then we can kind of start putting the pieces where they belong and seeing exactly where this project's going to go. But I am very excited to see exactly where we're going to go um, with the PSVR 2 and what else they're going to start to divulge to us um, as the months go on because this is not the only thing that we're going to see. I feel like we're going to get a deep dive of those controllers as well, especially since that is the those are the first controllers that they've made for PSVR. I think that they definitely want to showcase those and the capabilities that those have as well, especially with them having the same functionalities as the DualSense controllers. So in the coming months, I definitely think we will see more on um, this headset um, as, you know, they decide to give us that information. But moving on to another piece of PlayStation news, obviously... I'm going to be talking about the official announcement of the new PS Plus tier system. So we're not going to touch too much on this because I already basically did when we touched on um, Games Beat when they had their um, prediction out with the different tiers and what they were going to kind of look like. So they basically are exactly that. They look, they, they, those tier systems that we got, the leaks, that they were uh, legitimate. So um, we're going to pull from the PlayStation blog. This was on March 29th. And this is from Jim Ryan himself, CEO of SIE. So he goes, since launching PlayStation Plus in 2010, SIE has been at the forefront of innovation with game subscription services. We were thrilled to be the first console membership service that included a refreshed library of games through PlayStation Plus and also launched the first console game streaming service with PlayStation Now. Today we are pleased to share with you official news about changes coming to our subscription services. This June, we're bringing together PlayStation Plus and PlayStation Now in an all-new PlayStation Plus subscription service that provides more choice to customers across three membership tiers globally. Our focus is on providing high-quality, curated content with a diverse portfolio of games. Below is an overview of the three membership tiers. So, again, we're not going to go over the overview, but I do want to touch on the pricing. So, as we see, we've got the PlayStation Plus Essentials. That's basically going to be your standard PlayStation Plus, what it is today. That is going to run for $10 a month, $24.99 quarterly, and $59.99 yearly. So we're seeing here that we're having a quarterly option. That's the first thing that drew me uh, when I was reading this is that quarterly option. We never had that before. So as you see, there is a reason that we, they have this quarterly option here as we start to get farther down the tier list and they start to become more expensive. Like, a, you know, doing a $24.99 quarterly for this first uh, tier section doesn't really make a lot of sense. But when we start getting into it, you start to see how it might for some people. So the next tier, we've got the PlayStation Plus Extras. This is going to add um, 400 games from the PS4 and PS5 libraries. Uh, those should be downloadable. Yes, yeah, so games in the extra tier are downloadable for play. So that's going to be that one, the only extra from the tier above. And then that one is $14.99 a month. $39.99 quarterly and $99.99 yearly. So that's 100 bucks you're paying right here for this tier if you're going for yearly. And I'm talking yearly or I'm talking in that aspect because I, I think that that is, and not I think that is the best um, value if you're looking at this as a whole. So realistically, if you're wanting the best bang for your buck, you're going for yearly. And I mean, I'm already on a yearly subscription for PS Plus as it is and for PS Now. So as we get to this next tier, you're going to see where everything kind of comes together. Again, like that leak said, this is where you're going to get your PS3 games added in there. Now, the PS3 games, it looks like as of right now, it is only cloud streaming. So that's a little bit of a, a jab. But, you know, we're going to keep on trucking. It doesn't mean that that can't change in the future. It just means for right now at launch, it's just going to be streaming. So we'll see, you know, as PlayStation, as this new PlayStation Plus format kind of takes off where they want to go with that. But um, so you're going to get a catalog of the classic games. So we're talking PlayStation, PS2, and PSP generation games. I believe those are all downloadable games. So those we won't have to worry about the streaming aspect of it. Um, but they do also offer the cloud streaming for those as well. So it's not just cloud streaming, but 
it should be, um, but you can stream those games as well if you want to. Um, so that one, it breaks down as follows. So we have $17.99 monthly, we've got $49.99 quarterly, and then we've got 19, or I'm sorry, $119.99 yearly. So that's $120 yearly right there. Now, looking at that, that really did catch me off guard. I was like, oh boy, that is expensive for that highest tier at the yearly level. That's very expensive. I don't know why they would market it like that. I'm like, shoot, I might have to go quarterly, you know, with this. This just seems kind of egregious. And then I took a step back. I was like, yo, it's literally the same exact thing that I'm paying right now. It is PS Now plus PS Plus, no pun intended, put together 60 bucks, 60 bucks, 120 bucks a year. That's exactly what it is. They have not, there's no real, and I'm going to say benefit in the sense of financial benefit. There's no financial deal that's going on here with the premium tier. However, it does seem like you are getting a bigger library of games with the premium tier here. So you're spending $120, but you're getting, like, I can tell you straight up, there are no PSP games on um, on PS Now right now. There, there, I don't even think that there are play, regular PlayStation games on PS Now right now. I'm not a huge PS Now advocate, but um, I, I don't believe that there are PlayStation games on there. I want to say that there are PS2 games. Obviously, there are PS3 games on there, but I don't believe PlayStation, and I know for a fact PSP is not. So to have both of those as options in this service, in this tier system, like that is a benefit to this level. So you're getting more bang for your buck than what you are now if you're already paying for both of these things. That is a pretty good deal. It's a pretty good deal. Again, if you're already subscribed to both. Now, this is also a ploy to get people subscribed to, you know, who have never touched PlayStation now. So how lucrative does this look to that person? That's the real question. So we've got $17.99 a month, right? And that's the whole the whole shebang, the whole deal. Again, obviously, we are not getting games day and date. I understand that they are putting PS5 games in there, but we're not getting games day and date. It, the way that it looks now, the games that they listed out as games that will be coming to the service, I assume when they launch in um, in the summer, they said um, Returnal, Miles Morales, um, there's a few other games as well, but those are the two that kind of stuck out to me as in like, they, they're new, but they're also they've also had their their time in the light in, in the sun. You know what I'm saying? Like Miles Morales was 2020. Well, I'm sorry, 20. Uh, yeah, 2020 at the end of 2020, and uh, Returnal was 2021. So these games have had their shot in the sun. They've had time to sell. There's no real purpose and no real reason to keep on trying to make money off of them. In that sense, let's throw it into the service. And I think that's the way that they're going to be going about this, at least for the foreseeable future. Um, it doesn't seem like they are really worried about putting their games day and date here because they want to get that initial day one sale off of it. And that's fine. Again, this is what we've been kind of leading up to in the last couple of weeks of Microsoft, Nintendo, wait, Nintendo always plays their own game, but Microsoft and Sony are playing two different games here. Yes, this is something that is um, a, you know, they a reaction, I would say. I wouldn't even... I would say it's a reaction in a sense on Sony's side, but it's also something that needed to be done, right? And it, uh, a reaction to Game Pass is what I'm referring to. But this is something that needed to be done. PS Now is a service that never really got off the ground. I mean, nobody really ever talks about, you know, PlayStation Now. And if they do, they just talk about how, you know, there's not really that much stuff on there. And there are, there's realistically a lot of stuff on there, but they're talking about it from a lens of coming from Game Pass. And Game Pass, I mean, you're getting games day and date. You're getting all kinds of games all the time. It's constantly changing up the formula and changing up what they have to offer. And, and then you've got the, um, you know, the added benefits that come with you when you have Game Pass Ultimate. So there's just, they're offering a lot to consumers that make the money that you're spending worth it and again one of the main things is day and date games so how do we see and that's why this is not a competitor to game pass this is sony doing their own thing seeing game pass and seeing all right they've got a pretty good subscription service over there at microsoft we've got two subscription services and one of them does not get referenced at all in conversation in the gaming industry, really as a whole, like realistically. So 
what can we do to fix that? And what can we do to somewhat get more in line with, you know, how modern gaming subscriptions are operating now? And this is it. This is what it is. This is Sony's rendition of a modern uh, subscription service. And in my opinion, I do think it is, it's a good starting off point. It's a very good starting off point. There is a lot of open-ended things that we don't know. We don't know anything about the games that are going to be included, except for, like I said, the PS5 titles, the, I think, five or six of them that they listed. Uh, but other than that, we don't have, and here, actually, I've got them right here. So we're going to, it's going to be Death Stranding, God of War, Marvel Spider-Man, Marvel Spider-Man Miles Morales, Mortal Kombat 11, and Returnal. Those are going to be some of the games that will be included at launch. Uh, but those aren't, you know, heavy hitters. And I mean, yeah, Returnal is a pretty heavy hitter. Both Spider-Man games is awesome. You know, having God of War there, Death Stranding, all of these games, I they're fantastic. Really, all, every single one of them. But they've already been out. They've already been in the limelight. They've already been discussed, played, and, you know, everything else under the sun. But, obviously, there are people who have not played these games. And that's where they're going to get those new subscription services, or those new subscribers from this kind of aspect of I haven't I've been out of the PlayStation ecosystem for, you know, uh, God knows how long for X, Y and Z reason. So this is my me getting back in. I got a PS5. They've got this new uh, subscription plan. Let me hop onto this and start to experience the things that I may have missed, you know, uh, from the years past. So it is something and it's the same thing that they did with the PlayStation um, Plus collection on the PS5. A lot of those games, if you are engaged with the industry and with the, you know, gaming as a whole and as a hobby, you may have already touched a lot of those games that are in that collection. But for somebody who is coming into this hobby as a newcomer or somebody who has fallen off and get trying to get back in, that's a good collection of games of like triple A games to have for free just for having the subscription service. Again, it's not free. You've got to pay for it monthly. But for all intents and purposes, it's there for you, and you can download games whenever you feel like. So, yeah, um, I'm I'm really liking this um, this subscription service, though. I, I do. I think it's a good step in the right direction for them. I think it's a good foundation. It's something that they can definitely build upon, and they can tweak as it goes. We have to remember that Game Pass did not start off where it's at now, right? Like, it, you know, when I, uh, let's put it this way. When Game Pass first came out, I thought it was a joke. I was like, yeah, okay. I've got to pay monthly to play the games that I want to play. And then if I don't pay for, if I forget to pay, you know, one month or I cancel the subscription, then I don't get to play those games. Like, what is the point of that? I'll just buy my game outright and then I can always play it. Like, duh. Like, I always have been since I started playing games. And it was one of those things where I think I was just hell-bent on how I engorged games, you know, how I like to take them in, and just the process in general of acquiring a game. I That was just what was the norm for me, and I just didn't want to do anything else, and it just was weird. It's the same thing with um, with Gamefly back in the day, too. I, I Gamefly always intrigued me, but at the same time, it just was like, why... Why am I going to pay to rent a game? Like, I don't want... I want the game. I want the game to be mine. So why would I just rent it? So I would just always go out and buy a game. Like, that's just it. And when I first tried Game Pass, it was when they start announced the day and date stuff. When they're going to start putting at least their titles in Game Pass day and date. And that's when it kind of hit me where, wow, like, I can really use Xbox as, like, a budget console. You know, if I'm if I'm going to Xbox for their games and their exclusives, because again, I I am console agnostic, but I do prefer my PlayStation, and I, that's where I play most of my third party games is on my PlayStation. Like um, Lego Star Wars: The Skywalker Saga is about to come out on Tuesday. I will be playing that on the PlayStation, um, but I, I use my Xbox as a exclusive machine, which is hilarious because PlayStation is more about the exclusives, but I care more about putting my, uh, about the, you know, using my Xbox as that exclusive machine. Now, let's say that there is a new release that is slated to come out in Game Pass day and date. Let's say like last year, Back for Blood. Back for Blood is a third-party game. It launched on both PS5 and Xbox Series X. I played that game on the Series X because that is my budget console. If it can save me from spending $60 on a game, I'm going to play the game on Game Pass and then 
And then if I do like the game and I, you know, when it leaves the service, I will then buy it on my Xbox. That's what I will give to Xbox is if I, but if I'm playing the game for free with game pass with this subscription, I will then buy the game over there because I just feel like, you know what? I've already kind of gotten, you know, if we're talking back for blood, for instance, I've already gotten like a friend group that I'm playing with on that game or that I was playing with at the time. And that, you know, I don't want to lose that friend group. So I'm going to continue to play over there. Um, cause I don't think that that one is cross, um, cross-platform but it could be i'm not 100 percent sure uh but either way i just feel like you know game xbox and microsoft they're letting me get play this game you know on their service so when it leaves i'll just if i want to buy it i'll buy it on their on their platform that's just it, it to me that makes sense at least for my dollar so um but with the playstation side of things you know it's gonna take them time to get it to that level it, it, game pass was not fantastic out the gate not everybody was talking about it the way that they are is the best deal in gaming out the gate like that happened with them adding in the fact that you can now play games day and date so and that was years after they had originally launched um game pass so it's just going to take them time and we have to allow them the time and really recognize that you know what this is a good this is a good jumping off point this is a good you know foot in the ground and they're hitting the ground running and let's just give them some time to get around the track and see what they can do kind of thing, right guys? So I want to bring it over to our next topic of the night here. Um, E3 2022 is canceled. I cannot believe this. This came on my feed, uh, obviously a couple days ago, and it just, it, it it's unbelievably baffling. Like I just can't believe that we're going we're going to have another year where E3 is canceled. I just don't get it. But so I'm going to be pulling from IGN. This is from Rebecca Valentine and this was posted yesterday, uh March 31st. So, we've got uh E3 2022 digital and physical has officially been canceled. Now, obviously physical was canceled before, but let's get into it. After previously canceling its in-person E3 22 event, <laughs> the ESA has now informed its partners that there will be no digital event equivalent this year either, meaning E3 22 has fully been canceled. The news broke via a tweet from Razor PR lead Will Powers, who said that an email had been sent out announcing the cancellation of a digital E3 event. IGN has independently verified the contents of the email as well. The ESA had initially planned for an in-person E3 event this year after having no event in 2020 due to COVID-19 and a digital one in 2021. However, this was canceled in January, with the ESA at the time unable to make a public statement on whether or not there would be a digital equivalent. According to sources speaking to IGN at the time, discussions around E3 had been fraught throughout the year, with third parties normally involved finding the ESA's ongoing silence regarding their plans frustrating. Sources connected to the event tell IGN that discussions about a possible digital equivalent had, um, have been ongoing ever since, but without strong momentum to drive them. Instead, the ESA seems to be making plans to regroup for a larger comeback in 2023. And they do have an update that was posted again yesterday a couple hours later. Um, but it says the ESA has shared an official statement with IGN confirming E3 2022's cancellation and, an or, and announcing that E3 will return in 2023 with a reinvigorated showcase. Quote, we will devote all our energy and resources to delivering a, revita uh, a revitalized physical and digital E3 experience next summer. Whether enjoyed from the show floor or your favorite devices, the 2023 showcase will bring the community, media, and industry back together in an all-new format and interactive experience. We look forward to presenting E3 to fans around the world live from Los Angeles in 2023. End quote. The ESA adds that the 2022 showcase has been canceled so the organization can, quote, focus its resources, end quote, on the 2023 show. So, with that being said, I, it, this is just a very weird circumstance that I think the ESA has unfortunately found themselves in. So, obviously, COVID had a huge part in dealing with this situation and them having to shut down in 2020. We all know that. But that's why we see them coming back in 2021, right? We saw them kind of knock the, the sand off of them and knock the dirt off. And they came back. And yes, it wasn't a full-on E3 in the sense of they didn't have an in-person one. But 
they did have it digitally. And that's kind of what we, what the landscape was and what we kind of expected. Um, so to see them walk it back, to see them walk it back now in the next year, the following year in 2022, that's concerning. Now, when they canceled the physical um, showcase in January, I didn't really think anything of it. I was like, all right, it is what it is. You know, like, we're still dealing with a pandemic. It is, you know, we're, we can't really, there's nothing much that we can do about that aspect. But if they're thinking that, you know, not doing a physical event this year is going to benefit them, cool. Then we'll, we'll just stick with the digital one. They've already done digital. So why could we not just do a digital one this year, right? And now we've got this news. So the real question is, number one, we see, they say that they want to, they don't, they're kind of canceled the digital showcase so that they can put all their energy and resources into the 2023 showcase. And I find that to be odd because like the mindset of gamers right now around E3 is not good. And I think the mindset, and I'm saying gamers on our level and even journalists, I think everybody around this situation and thinking about E3 is just kind of fed up with it. And because we don't know exactly what it is now. What is E3? And maybe that is what ESA and what they kind of are touching on, what they see, that they don't really have a kind of foothold on really anything right now. And maybe that's why they want to take it back to the drawing board. However, I don't think taking it back to the drawing board is the is the move right now. Because again, where are you guys, where have you guys been, right? 2022 or 2020? non-existent 2021 basically still non-existent i mean for all intensive purposes like it didn't really feel it felt like the same things that we got in 2020 just with e3 slapped on it and now we're here in 2022 and you're not here again and now we've got jeff coming in and he's got his summer games fest and very quickly swept in and is telling everybody hey guess what the summer games fest still on in 2022 though and i mean hey He's going to market it, man. Like, this is the perfect time for him to get in people's faces and say, hey, guess what? Your buddy Jeff Keeley over here, I'm going to be the one who's doing this stuff. You get what I'm saying? So, with that being said, um, I don't really know what they plan to do. You know, where they plan to go next because I guess I understand that they want to reinvent or revitalize E3. But what does that mean to them? You know, it it seems like ESA has kind of lost their vision for what E3 is and what it should be. And realistically, that vision has kind of slowly but surely over the course of 25 years, it has been changing and it has been morphing into something else. And I just don't think that the ESA knows what that is anymore. And it, it it's decisions like this that kind of make me feel like that's the case, like they they might need some some outside help, you know, maybe trying to figure out what E3 and what the 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 modern E3 should be, you know, and again in COVID America right now because again this is a different we we live in a different world, right? This this pandemic uprooted everything and we've now are we're coming out on the other end of it, but everybody's had to shift except for the ESA because they have not been playing the game. They have not been involved with E3 or with um yeah with E3 during this time really again they did have digital last year but it felt like it felt lackluster it didn't feel like they put all of their energy into it it felt like it might have been like kind of like a a last minute thing it didn't feel like it was a cohesive show to put on and i guess you know in a sense like the summer games fest doesn't really feel like that either but you know at least the summer game fest does not have 25 years of, you know, reputation riding it. It is a fairly new concept that Jeff Keighley is trying to put out there. And realistically, I think he's doing a good job. Every year it gets better and better. It's the same thing with all of his shows. So why do we not think that he can pull something like this off and be the new E3? I'm not saying that the ESA needs to go away or anything like that, but maybe we don't need an E3 anymore. My other aspect of this, and the other way that I come at this is, and this is something that, again, I, I just found out about, you know, within the last couple of years, with, with not having E3 in the limelight, is just how expensive it is for companies to show up there. 
You know, if you want to be at the table, you've got to bring the money. And I doubt it is, it, it's not a cheap endeavor to be showcased at the um, E3 show floor. You have to put a lot of money into that. And with now, not one, but now after 2022, two years, these different companies have had to figure out what they're doing on their own. Why would they then go and pay E3 money to do the same thing that they already figured out how to do. You know what I'm saying? Like that doesn't that doesn't make a lot of sense. And that's why I feel like the ESA doesn't really understand the situation that they find themselves in. It doesn't feel like they're listening to, you know, the space and the conversation around this uh, you know, E3 and just digital showcases and really just gaming showcases in general. I just don't think that they're all there and we're going to have to wait and see if they can really turn this around and, you know, bring these different companies back into the fold because I really don't think that anybody really wants to play with E3 anymore. I think that the pandemic opened a lot of people's eyes to what they are actually capable of and the audience that they're able to reach without E3. And with that being said, why spend the money to just be put under the this brand when we could do it ourselves? So that's kind of where I sit with this um, whole E3 being canceled. I I kind of just think that this is this is something this is a long time coming. Remember, uh, PlayStation in 2019 announced that they were not going to be at the at E3 2020. They they announced it well before anything happened. Well before any of this stuff happened to the world, they announced that this was that that was the case because they started they started to see that this was not necessary for them. So. I think that the rest of the industry, with how it's been the last couple of years, I think they're getting to the same uh, you know, thought process that Sony did back in 2019. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens uh, to E3 in 2023, because I, I, I don't think it's coming back, guys. I really don't. I think, this is, I think last year was the last E3 that we were going to see, and that's a little sad. That is a little sad. So I do want to... Uh, move over to our last segment of the night. Um, I'm going to be touching on my initial, well, not even initial. These are impressions of Kirby the Forgotten Lands because I am almost done with this gosh darn game, guys. I literally, it's, it has taken me away for like three whole days, three whole entire days. I just have been nonstop messing with this game. I mean, I get up, and do a few missions, do a few levels. Uh, when I got home from work, do a few, uh, do a few more. Play that through the night. Get in bed, playing it in bed until I literally. There was one night I passed out playing it, guys. So I'm telling you, this game is is definitely a banger. Definitely, definitely one that needs to be picked up if you are a Nintendo fan. But um, I do want to touch on, or I want to start this conversation. I've never played a Kirby game outside of GameCube. And realistically, and you guys are going to get this story, so you're going to understand what I mean, because I didn't even really play a legitimate Kirby game when I did. So the closest that I've gotten to playing a Kirby game, um, or to playing as Kirby in in this aspect, I would say, would be like Smash Brothers. That's like the closest that I've gotten uh, playing like as Kirby and using his different abilities and stuff like that in a cohesive manner. Now, I want to tell you guys a little story. Bring you back in time. We're going back in time, guys. 19 years. Christmas 03. So, TMNT released for both the GameCube and Game Boy this year. I saw an ad for it, and I was all about it. I was like, yo... I need this game. This game, I need it, I need it, I need it, I want it, I need it. So, I, at the time, I had a Game Boy Color and I had a GameCube. So, obviously, I needed this game on the GameCube. I wanted it on the best hardware. I wanted to see the crisp lines of the characters of each of the turtles. I wanted to, I, I wanted to be able to make out each, uh, like each enemy as I'm going. And it just, it seemed like, because I, I, I had only seen this game on the GameCube, so that's where I saw it. I knew it, uh, it did come out for the Game Boy, but I'd only seen the GameCube um, trailers for it at the time. So I also saw, and I also wanted to get this other game. 
it was, I'm pretty sure it was Kirby Nightmare in Dreamland. So this one came out, and this is why I'm pretty sure it was this one, because this one was the 2002 game. So I did some research. I was trying to figure out what game it was, and it was between this game and another Kirby game that came out and released in 2004. Similar gameplay mechanics, but because that one was 2004, I don't think that that was it, because it came out like the end of 2004. So there's just really no way that that was the one that I was playing at the time. So I was like, you know what? I windowed it down. I, it's got to be Nightmare in Dreamland. But I asked for that one for the Game Boy, right? So, simple enough, right? It's a, I said TMNT, GameCube, Kirby, Game Boy. TMNT, GameCube, Kirby, Game Boy, right? Simple enough. I understand S Nintendo wanted to be cute and named Game Boy, GameCube. They literally only changed the last four letters of the, of the consoles. Three for boy, whatever. But my point is, they are very close and similar in name. I get it. But come on, man. My dad knew what the difference was. One's a freaking purple cube. One's a little handheld thing. You should know. You bought the crap. You should know this, man. So, you guys know where I'm getting at with this one, guys. I told him to do what he... I told him to get it on the certain ones. That Christmas, I got TMNT on the Game Boy. And I got Kirby Air Ride for the GameCube instead. I understand... Now, you know, again, I have not really gone deep into, like, figuring out what exact game I had gotten until tonight. And I understand. I get it. I get why my non-gaming dad got confused. I get it. Kirby had just released. This, this Kirby had just released in 2003. The TMNT had just released in 2003. Why would he think that the Kirby game I was talking about was from a year ago? Obviously, he went into the story. He's like, look... My son wants the Kirby game, and he wants a TMNT game, and he said Game Boy and GameCube, okay? So I just need the newest ones. And then the guy at the counter was like, well, the newest Kirby game that just came out is this Kirby Air Ride game. It probably was this one. How old's your son? Oh, he's like five or six? Yeah, this is totally the game that he needs. He probably doesn't even know what he's talking about. <sighs> I digress, guys. I'm still dealing with the hurt from this decision that my dad decided to make obviously but with that being said i this is the only that's the only uh kirby experience that i had was not even a legitimate kirby game this was a racing kirby game so only the only thing that i had ever played of kirby was that um but i it, it obviously left a um a impression on me because i remembered all these years ago almost 20 years i still remember playing that game and as soon as i saw the art cover for it i knew that that was the game that i had gotten on the gamecube didn't realize that it was a racing game, uh, but I realized that that was the game that I had played just from the cover. So, I mean, with that being said, this game has been a part of my life, and Kirby has been a part of my formative gaming years. So, this game coming out here and realizing that I haven't really, like, played a legitimate Kirby game was actually pretty wild to think about, you know, coming in or on the lead-up to launch date on uh, March 25th here. But it's something that really made me more excited to get into this game. So I do want to touch on the my feelings and my thoughts for it here. So I start first want to touch on the graphics, right? So the graphics, I've only played this game in handheld mode, and I think that that's legitimately the way that you want to play this game. Now, I'm playing it on a Nintendo OLED, and it looks absolutely beautiful it just looks it looks crisp and clean the lines are they're they're not etched off at the on the side and i'm saying uh jagged on the side they're not jagged like you would see on um pokemon legend arceus let's say and that was again fairly recent game not like that you're getting a very clean very um nice lined experience here um but they definitely understand the limitations of the hardware and they use it to their advantage to produce a quality product. So again, bringing back to Pokemon Legends Arceus, it seemed like, you know, yes, there are limitations that you have with this, with the Nintendo console. And we all know that there are, there they just are, and it is what it is. But as developers and people who are making games for it, you want to know those limitations. You want to be able to use them to your advantage and not to the detriment of the game. And it seems like in the case of Pokemon Legends Arceus, there were some decisions made that did hinder the actual you know product at the you know as a whole and that is disheartening disheartening but it's not anything that you know that's a case-by-case -case basis and we can see that when you put this device in 
a developer's hands who understands what the hardware is, they can produce something that is very top-notch and very high quality, and that's what this is here. Um, gameplay is very similar in scope and tone to Mario Odyssey. Again, scope and tone is where I'm at here. So it's not a full-on open world like we saw in um, Mario Odyssey. So in Mario Odyssey, you would go down to these different worlds and then you would just be able to explore them to your heart's content and find all the, the nooks and crannies and get all of the different collectibles. That's not the case here. Here, it's more of you have levels and the levels are open in each level, but they're not long in a sense they're they're very much just like a, a standard level in a game and they're not they are i was gonna say they're not linear but they they are linear you you have a path that you have to follow um but there are branching off or branching paths that are off the beaten path that will take you and lead you to your different collectibles so you're finding your your buddy the waddle d's and stuff like that um or your different blueprints so that you can um upgrade your copies and we'll touch on that here in a second but these are the, the, the different things that kind of make it similar to what the Mario Odyssey was, which is that 3D platforming aspect of it. So obviously Mario has always been a 3D platformer, but this brings Kirby into that, into that realm, into a legitimate 3D platforming space. Um, but like I said, similar to Mario Odyssey, this title is reigniting the spark that fans have or that have had for the Kirby franchise and the Kirby IP. And I think, you know, in the same fashion that Odyssey did for the newcomers and old uh, fans of the game and of the IP, they, it brings everybody together and creates a quality experience that anybody can jump in and enjoy. And if you really want to go in and you want to have a bigger, deeper experience with the game and with the title, then you can by way of you know, 100%ing the game, going back through, trying out with different um, abilities, with different, um, or trying to find different collectibles and stuff like that. So the biggest part for me, at least um, the selling point in my head when I first saw it was the mouthful mode. So seeing that mouthful mode the first time was, that it sold it for me, like legitimately, it sold it for me. And then playing the game in the demo that it, it, to see how far they went into the mouthful mode it's not just a few of them they have a lot of different objects and items that are a part of this mouthful mode and some of them you don't even know that they are that's the thing like you wouldn't even know that it was until obviously after you play the game then you're gonna know but when you walk up to it for the first time you're like oh snap that's a mouthful item oh my gosh that's crazy and then it's like okay well how is it what am i gonna do with this now like I don't want to spoil any of them because they genuinely are fun to experience. I will say, you know, we'll we'll do some B-roll stuff that they did. The um the light bulb, like per se, that was amazing in and of itself. Just to have to be able to, you know, change the dynamic of the level and you're having to use the light bulb to see, you know, the path uh, at hand and the path before you. Those kind of things are an aspect of the mouthful mode that are really intriguing and really made the experience of this game that much more fun for me because it again it's the highlight of it and to see how all of them have different functionalities and they all are very unique in their own way it's just it, it, they really took time here to make this mode something that is tangible and something that you know we could definitely see going forward like this might be a staple for Kirby games going forward and it's really cool to see this innovation take place and to see them kind of try new things. Um, another thing that they did try new are the different copies. So obviously you do have your normal suspects. You've got your your um, your sword guy. You've got the, uh, the fire. You've got the ice. But there are some new ones. There's a drill that you can get. And um, there is like one. There are some of them that you can get from a from boss fights and stuff like that. I, again, don't want to get too much into it just because I know that there are people who are finishing up playing the game right now. And again, these copies are one thing that legitimately are were very fun for me. I will say, since I've already touched on the drill one, that one was a very cool experience for me because I don't know why. I guess I just didn't, you know, when I first got to the enemy, I 
didn't assume that I could um, that I could suck that one up. Don't know why. I just and maybe because it was an animal. So I was like, you know what, whatever, it's fine. So with that, I finally went up there and I was like, or I had the thoughts like, you know what, maybe I wonder if I can suck that up and get the and get this drill ability that he's doing here. So I do it, and obviously it works because it is a copy ability. And then I'm like, oh my gosh. I didn't even, I didn't even know. Like I had literally, I think I'd gone through two, three levels and fought this thing and didn't even know that I could use, use this um, ability, this brand new ability. So that was a cool thing to just um, stumble upon basically, you know, on my own. And I, just to see the different functionalities that all of these different capable or all these different copies have was a huge delight and I always would find new ones you know as we're getting new ones it just changes up the gameplay and what you're able to do obviously but the other aspect of it is the ability to upgrade them as I spoke of earlier when you're able to upgrade these things so as you're playing through the different levels you um can play through the uh you can find little shortcuts and find those different blueprints or you find the blueprints by collecting different uh collecting all the waddle deeds or collecting a specific waddle dee in, in a certain area or from one of the little side missions that you can do that are sprinkled throughout the the open or the overworld but when you find one of these you bring it back to your main town the Waddle Dee town and that's the town that you can continuously upgrade as you're playing through the game and as you unlock and or as you save more Waddle Dees but as you are um and when you get a blueprint you bring it back and you bring it to your weapons expert and then he creates the upgrade for you to basically change the ability of those copies and I'm telling you even just upgrading them when I upgraded my first one it was unbelievably awesome like it was really cool it changed up the the functionality of the copy and what you could do with it and even the look of the copy and it just made it so much more like oh my gosh like like a, it's like a dopamine hit i was like oh my gosh fantastic like i want to keep now i want to get upgrades for my like the ones that i really like so like the drill one i really wanted to get the next drill upgrade is so awesome i really really like the 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 second upgrade for the drill and then some of them have three upgrades that you can get for them so i don't even know exactly how many upgrades if it is if it was just the one copy that that i got that has the three or if there are multiple and i just haven't found the other upgrade um blueprints so i'm very excited to kind of get back in here and try to 100 this game i really am my goal is to try to 100 this game by the end of the year I don't know how much I'm going to be able to stick to that goal because we've got a lot of games that are coming out, you know, in, in the next couple of months. But that is my goal. I want 100% this because I want to see everything that this game has to offer. But the last thing I want to touch on, at least for my impressions, is the fun factor of this. And I think, guys, from you hearing me talk about this, you know, this game is absolutely fun, guys. It's an absolute blast. If you are, like I said at the top, if you are a fan of Nintendo and their IP, you definitely need to be picking this one up. You definitely need, I think you need to get this one and it needs to be a part of your library because this is something special here. This is something they put in. There's a lot of love and care and attention that they put into this title. And it's one that you, it just, it, it's, it just spews out of it as you play through and it's the same kind of feeling that i got with mario odyssey when i was playing that like they have a love for this character and they want to share that love with the fan base and i am now a huge fan of kirby i will be playing every kirby game that comes out from here on out because i want to see how they iterate and how they continuously push the boundary so i do quickly quickly want to touch on um the sales that we've seen or that um they've seen from this title launching. So I'm going to be pulling from Michael Ingram over at Game Ramp. He writes, and this is just a few excerpts from his article that he wrote here, but we have Kirby and the Forgotten Lands long awaited release marked several firsts for the franchise, celebrating its 30th anniversary this year. Forgotten Land was the first fully 3D main series game for the character. With 3D environments previously being limited to spin-offs or overworld maps, while also introducing new copy abilities like the Ranger and Drill Tailor made for the uh, made for the game's 3D perspective, Kirby and the Forgotten Land set out to bring the franchise to new frontiers. And now, Famitsu reported Forgotten Land was the best-selling game in its release uh, in its release week. Famitsu's weekly software sales report. 
um, posted Thursday shows Kirby topping its release week class in Japan with Kirby and the Forgotten Land selling a total of 380,000 copies in its first week. Famitsu's data from um, from the March 21st to March 27th week shows Forgotten Land followed by a Nintendo staple in um, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe, fresh off the launch of the first Booster Course Pass release, and January's Pokemon Legends Arceus following not far behind at third. Other recent games like Elden Ring, Ghostwire Tokyo, and Stranger of Paradise Final Fantasy Origin also finished in the top 10. So... This is pretty awesome to see that not only did it reach, you know, number one for this week in sales, it reached number one within two days. The game launched on March 25th. From March 25th to March 27th, it got, you know, it sold 380 copies. Now, obviously, we, I don't know if this is discussing pre-orders as well, but regardless, this is a dang good launch. A really, really good launch for a Kirby title and to see the love that this game is getting from the community and from the players it really makes me happy and it makes me think that you know what we're going to see another iteration of this maybe some you know sooner than we think the other thing too is that again to see it get this love during its 30th year anniversary that's another huge plus to me like you know we're we're showing the big pink blob some love here it's its birthday it's gonna be a huge year for kirby because we're still gonna have some more announcements coming out from nintendo regarding the anniversary of kirby and um and his first game on the game boy so hopefully we start to see you know a little bit more love shown to kirby and we and i'm saying like from nintendo and from the player base as a whole because i don't think a lot of people i mean even on the lead up to this launch a lot of people really didn't know you know like if this game was going to be good they were like ah yeah it could be could not be but i was always on the side of this is going to be kirby's moment this is going to be his moment to shine and to be in the spotlight and i'm so happy that it is because this game is fantastic the developers put so much work so much time and effort into making it fantastic and they should be celebrated for that they should definitely be celebrated for that and for making you know having this game cross the finish line as well and as well polished as it is and as it did come but obviously Kirby is not the only game that I played this week. I mean, come on, guys. I can't just play the one game. So I did touch a little bit into um, Fortnite to try out that new uh, no-build mode. And I've got to say, first of all, first match in, got the crown. Thank you very much. Got that victory royale. But anyway... I actually really, really do like the changes that they've brought into um, this no-build mode. I, you know, with the tactical running, which is, again, it's not even... They call it tactical running because they've never had that kind of running, but it's standard running in a first-person shooter game, first-person shooter title, or in any shooter title. Um, but it's, it's definitely, you know... Um, a different kind of experience, but I don't have to worry about the building. I don't have to worry about that. I don't have to worry about me, myself building. I don't have to worry about other people building. Um, they've got a vault mechanic now, so you can, you know, kind of get above these uh, different areas. So all in all, I think it's a really good shakeup, and it's something that's going to bring me back and keep bringing me back. Like, I've thought about going back in and playing a few rounds of Fortnite recently because of this no build mode. Like, I want to try it out, and I want to see what else it has to offer so that's just something that like it really has intrigued me and i know we touched on the data miners last week and it appears that epic has come out and officially announced that this is going to be permanent not saying that they're going to do no build mode only we're going to have modes that are no build mode and we're going to have modes that are the build modes i will probably forever be sticking in no build mode i'm worried about having fun when i play my games as you all are, I assume, and that's where I have my fun. I have my fun without building, so I will be sticking there. Um, I also did try out Shredders for a little bit this week. You know, I was a huge fan, or and I have been a huge fan of SSX uh, growing up, but nothing has really given me that same kind of feeling that SSX did. Not saying that like I haven't liked other snowboarding games, I have, um, but nothing has really hit the way that SSX did, that arcade kind of feel. You know, I tried uh, Riders Republic out last year. 
that game, it's fun. You know, I like the open world aspect of it, but it just seems like it's a little too bloated. Like it's got a little bit too much going on. So kind of didn't really, I wasn't really all there for that one. But um, Shredders is an interesting one because it, it does feel like a Tony Hawk version of a snowboarding game. But in a sense of like um, when you're, having to do these different tricks and everything and go around the world kind of thing you're not it's not an open world you very much are doing them level by level so after you finish a task in one level you get taken out and then you have to go manually choose another level in the menus and then it drops you back into the world so in that aspect it does feel kind of like a tony hawk game and also the care that they have um for um snowboarding seems in tune with where we were with the the guys who made um, the original Tony Hawk games as well. But, and that means that we're kind of getting away from that arcade aspect. So they're wanting to be more um, technical with the snowboarding and the different tricks that you can pull off, which is cool. Again, that's going to be for a certain demographic of people. Not really my cup of tea. I only played it for a couple hours. I put it down. We're going to keep on trucking. So, um, but that is what I've been playing this week, other than Kirby, obviously, guys, because that is where I've been putting most of my time. Next week, we will be touching on Lego Star Wars The Skywalker Saga. That drops on Tuesday. I will be pre-ordering that. That will be being played day freaking one i will have plenty of thoughts and impressions for you next week and probably weeks going on because i am going to lose myself in that game for i don't know how long but i think we're gonna touch down here guys remember you can follow me on twitter at jedi master ren remember the r in ren is the same r for master and while you're doing that maybe follow the show too but as always may the force be with you <laughs>